As you've had extra time in the quarantine, I'm sure you have been asking yourself a lot of questions. I'm sure some of them are very humorous. You've probably wondered, what's the least amount of toilet paper that you can use? Maybe another question you've wondered about is, in nine months, how many babies are going to be named Corona? How about that one? And I'm sure you're also trying to figure out the difference between the Lion King and the Tiger King. If you haven't figured that one out yet, uh, ask a young person. They'll tell you where you can find out the answer to that one. But maybe you've also asked some more serious questions. Maybe you've wondered if you can live with less. Unfortunately, maybe you have less money now. Uh, maybe you have a less of everything that you were used to having, and you are wondering, can I really live with this? Maybe you're asking, are there things that I've taken for granted? We've probably all said yes to that question, because we have lived so many years, used to so many things, when they're taken away, we realize what we really value. And maybe that's the, the greatest question that you have been asking what is most important to me? Those are all great questions. And one I know that you have been asking is this. What is church? Everything we do about church has been done differently for the last month. When we think about church, we think about coming to a building. We think about singing. We think about listening to a sermon. We think about classes. We think about service to our community. We think about hugs and we think about community and eating together. These are the things we think about when we hear the word church. All of that has changed and all of it has been different. And so I'm sure you're asking, as certainly myself and other pastors and church leaders have, what truly is the essence of church. Fortunately, we don't have to ask an expert living today. We can go back to the Word of God, and God can tell us the answer to that question. This Sunday and the Sundays to come, we are going to look at the book of Ephesians. The first part of the book of Ephesians answers that question for us. What is church? And we're going to begin today with the first answer to that question. The first answer is not going to surprise you. When I say that church is God. Now you're probably thinking, Pastor, well that, that's a no-brainer. That's, that's an easy Sunday school answer to that question. Of course, church is about God. But I always worry that my ministry, the ministry of any local church, turns into activity without God. Uh, isn't it true that you can eat together in lots of places? Uh, the Golden Corral, there's lots of people eating there. That's like the church potluck on steroids. Everyone there, anything you want to eat, you can eat and not be church. You can sing. You can enjoy singing in the shower. You can sing karaoke. You can sing to the radio in your car. You can sing, and it's not church. You can teach, and you can learn. And you can learn important things and valuable things. Or you can learn foolish things and false things. 
You can learn, and it's not church. In fact, you can even do good works. You can serve people. You can give them food. You can help them pay their rent. You can help pay their medical bills. You can care for them, and you can serve them, and it still can be done without God. That is what I worry about often is that even if it's done in a building with the steeple, and even if it's done with the veneer of the name Jesus, work can be done, meetings can take place, smiles and songs and teaching can all happen, and God is not part of it. If that happens, it's not church. Without God... There is no church regardless of what activity is happening. And so although the answer to the question, what is church, and I say God seems pretty obvious, I still challenge you to think about this. When you are fellowshipping by eating and enjoying uh, singing and enjoying a sermon or when you are fellowshipping and enjoying the hugs and the camaraderie, when you are doing good works in community, are you thinking about God, His glory? Why are you doing it? Is it to, so that other people will praise God in heaven? Or is it so that you will get a pat on the back? Is, is it so that others will know about Jesus and eternal life? Or is it just so someone will have a cup of soup? Is it because uh, for other people? Or is it all about you? So before we go even into the book of Ephesians, it's important to know that church is about God. And it's not as obvious in how we do church that that answer seems to be. When we come to the book of Ephesians, it's clear that church is about God. It's all about His will and it's about His glory. I have a few verses that I want to share with you. Pastor Brady has read all of the verses there in the first part of the first chapter of Ephesians. But I want to share with you some highlights from those verses where we see that church is all about the will of God and bringing glory to Him. Right from the very beginning in verse 1, Paul says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. In verse 5, according to the good pleasure of His will. In verse 9, the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure. In verse 10, as a plan for the right time. Verse 11, according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. You see that church is all about God. It's about the plan he had even before the world was created. He had a plan even before he created Adam and Eve. And as history has unfolded, God's plan has been revealed. And it has culminated in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his church. And it will come to fulfillment when Christ is Lord of all in heaven and on earth. And He rules for eternity. And we are with Him in heaven forever. That's the plan of God. It's His will. And He's accomplishing it in His church. 
So it's clear from Ephesians 1 that God's will is the reason why we even have church in the first place. And the reason we have it is for His glory. Church, again, isn't about me. And that's so hard to learn sometimes. And so many times, me and myself, and I hear it from others. I know I didn't enjoy church on Sunday. Uh, the sermon didn't speak to me. Uh, I didn't enjoy it because the songs didn't make sense to me. Uh, I didn't like it because my best friend wasn't there to say hi to me. I didn't like it because the sanctuary was too cold for me. And I could go on and on, but you notice how me, me, me. Well, church isn't about me. It's about the glory of God. And everything church is about, its ultimate purpose should be to exalt God. We see that in Ephesians 1. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or that word could be uh, translated, praise be to God. God is to receive the praise. In verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, might bring praise to His glory. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. That's what church is about, to the praise of the glory of God. Maybe we should say that to ourselves when we come to anything we do as a church, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. Maybe that would help us take the focus off of ourselves and put it on God. Because church is about His will and bringing glory to Him. Jesus said this when He talked about the good works that we do. The reason for them is so that other people will see them and they will praise our Father in heaven. So even the good works we do, they help others. They make us feel good often. But it's not even about the person we're serving or about we who serve. And so that the Father receives all of the glory. So church, first of all, is about God. But Ephesians 1 also talks about us. That is what's so amazing about God's plan and His will, is that it's not just about Him. It includes humans that He has created. It includes His creation. I want you to think about this. God has existed for eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in communion. There was God before there was ever a person or a planet, and certainly before there was a church. But there wasn't church back in eternity past, even though God was there. So God's the first of what church is, but that's not all that church is. It includes us. And in Ephesians 1, we learned this, that it's us, His children, praising Him for the things that He has done for us. That is what church is. Acknowledging that God has done amazing things and that He is our Creator. He is our Savior and that we must praise Him for what He has done. In Ephesians 1, we see this right at the very beginning. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. I want you to see those words that I have in red for you. Every and in Christ. These first few verses of Ephesians tell us that God has richly blessed us. And that's why he receives praise and glory. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He hasn't held back. He hasn't given us some and he's going to give us more later. He hasn't given us a little bit. He has given us every spiritual blessing. Brothers and sisters, we are extremely wealthy. And the reason we are wealthy is because of those two words, in Christ. That is why we are wealthy. As we'll see here, I will tell you of nine spiritual blessings we have. And we have them because of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way that Paul even looks at our condition right now is that, of course, Jesus is in heaven. He has ascended there. And he's in the spiritual realm of heaven. We're here on this earthly realm. But Paul envisions it in this way, that even we are in the heavenly realm, even now in a sense, because we are in Christ. And if Christ is there with the blessings of heaven and he has bestowed upon us those blessings, then we are wealthy in him. And so the rest of these verses I want to share with you today tell us about these nine blessings we have, these riches that make us the people of God in the church that is His. And I love how Paul writes them. He writes them according to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What has God the Father done for us? He has chosen us, He has predestined us, and He has adopted us. Let's hear the words Paul writes. Again, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. God chose us. Church and our salvation is first about God. Did you hear those words? Chosen, predestined, adopted. Sometimes when people hear those words, they get confused. And honestly, sometimes they don't want to hear those words. Because it, to some, it gives the idea that God chooses some for salvation and doesn't choose others. He saves some and He chooses others for hell. Some for heaven, some from hell. God's choosing whomever He chooses according to His will. And it seems unfair and it seems cruel. But I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine an adoption story. Imagine you were an adopted child and you're 
adoptive parents came to tell you the story of your adoption. I know when they would tell you that story, they would tell you about how much they wanted to have a child to love. And they would tell you about the details of how you were the child that they chose. Maybe they knew your biological mother, and so they knew her and wanted to have her child as their own. Maybe it was a trip to an orphanage. Maybe it was seeing a picture or a video. But there'd be a wonderful story of how they chose you out of love and how y'all were united and became a family. An adoption story never is about the other kids. You know, we didn't choose Joey because his eyes were too far apart. We didn't and like uh, Susie because uh, she was too noisy. We didn't like Danny's parents. They were just too weird. You know, the story's never about the other children. Uh, even worse yet would be for adoptive parents to go to those kids and tell them, hey, Danny, we didn't choose you. Now, we didn't, we didn't like your parents and... Susie, we didn't like you, and Joey, uh-uh. You know, people don't go and do that. So it's the same here, what God is saying to us whom he has saved and redeemed. He says, I love you, and I've chosen you, and I've adopted you. He's telling us a love story. He's telling us our adoption story. And of course, it's to us, and it's about his choosing and about his love. This is true in Scripture. Everyone who will be in heaven, everyone who is saved is there because God has chosen them. But this is also true. Everyone who is saved and everyone who is in heaven is there because they chose God. And this is also true, that anyone can choose God. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, whatever age, whatever economic status... God's salvation is for everyone, and anyone and everyone can choose God. Those truths are both accurate and fact, although we can't always put them together in our little brains. But know this, we are blessed because God loves us and He has chosen us. The verses continue to tell us what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has redeemed us and he has forgiven us and he has given us knowledge and an inheritance. Listen to these verses. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. Jesus has redeemed us. That means He has bought us and taken us out of slavery to sin. Before we met Jesus, we were slaves to sin. Sin had control of us. 
Sin was our destiny and sin was what consumed us, but not now. We have been freed from sin. There's no sin now that we have to commit. Every sin now we commit is an act of rebellion or stubbornness or against God, but it's not because sin is there and is our master. And we have the wonderful blessing of our sins being forgiven. All of them. The the white lies all the way to the worst sins. All forgiven. Because our sins are forgiven, that means that the penalty for our sin will not be held against us. Eternal death, separated from God in hell, is not our destiny. Because our sins have been forgiven. And I love how Paul describes that they have been forgiven according to this grace that God has blessed us with that's overflowing and in abundance. And so as much as we have sinned, God's grace is more. And it's not just enough or just a little bit more. It's an abundance. So whatever image you want to imagine, if our sin is in a cup and the grace that's poured in that cup, it overflows and not just overflows, it's on the floor. It's raising up in the room to three feet high. And, and that's how much God's grace is compared to our sin. What a blessing. We also are told that God has not kept us in the dark about His will and His plan. His will and His plan is to have Christ ruling over everything. Yes, Christ is king over everything now, but isn't it true? People rebel against Him and people reject Him and despise Him. And isn't it true that Satan right now is still in the game and Satan is trying to get his shots in and trying to enslave people and trying to uh, take souls? And so there's still a battle and there's still a rebellion against God. But one day there won't be. Even Satan will be in submission to Christ. And God has told us his plan. Jesus said to his disciples that because he has told us the plan... We are his friends. And isn't that true? You tell your friends about your life and about your plans and your future hopes and dreams. We're the friends of God because he's revealed his plan to us. He's not keeping it a secret to us. And to know that the future is secure in him gives us hope for today when we see the chaos around us. And everything we experience isn't right here, right now. We also have an inheritance. And you know when you get an inheritance, you have to die. One day we will die, or someone has to die. You don't die to get your own inheritance. Someone dies for you to get your inheritance. When we die, though, we will receive the promise and the glory of seeing Jesus face to face and spending eternity with Him. The final verses tell us what the Holy Spirit has done for us. The Holy Spirit has sealed us and is our down payment. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. We are told here that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is our seal. A seal means that we are marked as God's. We're not our own. We don't belong to Satan. We belong to God. It also means it's a 
seal is, protects, doesn't it? And we are protected so that our salvation will be complete one day when we see the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment. I love it in the Gospel of John when Jesus tells His disciple He's leaving them. He says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but listen, guys, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be that down payment, will be that promise that what you have now, you will have everything that I have promised you. And so just as we know what a down payment is, you put money down as a promise, you're going to pay the rest. That's what the Holy Spirit is in a sense. God has promised us uh, an eternity with Him. He's promised us heaven. He's promised us a place that's perfect with no sin, no crying, no sorrow and death. And someone might be tempted to say, well, where's the proof? I don't see it. I, I need some assurance that's going to happen. And God says, here you go. Here's myself, the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. And I will be with you until that time when you will experience your salvation in its fullness. God, the Holy Spirit, is our seal and, and our down payment. So what is church about? It's about God. And it's about what God has done for us. And it's about us praising Him for all the riches and blessings that we have. I want to ask you two questions. One, are you in the family? Are you adopted as a child of God? You see, I read over this verse quickly, but I want to read it again to you more slowly. But Paul says when he talks about the Holy Spirit, In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. You see the highlighted words? It's the gospel. It's the truth. When it's heard and when it's believed, that's when you are part of the family. That's when the Holy Spirit seals you. And that's when the Holy Spirit becomes your down payment. And that's when you receive all of these spiritual blessings. These riches are only for God's children who are in His family. It's a myth to say that everybody's God's child. It's not true. Yes, God has created everybody. And yes, God is concerned about everybody and loves everybody. All of that's true. But in Scripture, those who are His children are those who are saved, who have heard the gospel, who have believed. The Ephesians had. Paul had shared the gospel with them. They had heard it and they believed. And now they were God's children. And all of these blessings he's talking about were theirs. So if you want those riches, you have to be part of the family. So if you have never believed the gospel, the truth that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, He rose again to life. If you have not believed that and believed in Him, you're outside right now. But right now, this moment, you can believe and be adopted, enter the family, and receive all of those blessings. And one other question. If you're in the family, are you enjoying all of the blessings? Could you, I have these here for you. You can look at them on the television screen one more time. All of these blessings. 
the blessings of being chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given God's plan, received an inheritance, sealed and received a down payment. All nine of these give us hope, give us comfort, give us a purpose, give us a future, give us a reason for living, give us a reason to praise our Creator and Savior. These are the riches that we have that we can live in because we are in Christ. But too many believers don't live with these riches. They're still living as though they're poor in spiritual blessing rather than rich in spiritual blessing. If you're defeated by sin, know that you're not a slave to sin anymore. If you feel the guilt and the shame of your sin, know that your sin has been forgiven. If you feel as though that you're unloved and that you have no purpose, know that God has chosen you and He's chosen you for a reason. If you feel like you have no hope for a future, know that you have an inheritance. If you feel as though you have no strength to overcome sin or strength to live life, know that you have God, the Holy Spirit Himself, living in you. These are our riches. We don't have to ask for them. They're already ours. But nevertheless, unless we live in them and enjoy them and appropriate them, we can be Christians who live as paupers rather than a child of the king. Imagine that you were given a, a vacation to a hotel with a spa. If you've ever been to one, or it doesn't even have to be that, it's lots of places in our life. You know, there's basic packages, and then there's higher price packages, and then there's a super-duper package, and the super-supreme platinum package, and you know how those things work. The more money you pay, the more things that you get, the more amenities, and the more service. And so imagine you went to one, and you saved up your money, but all you had enough was for the basic package. But someone else... They paid the rest for you to have the premier ultimate platinum package. Imagine you went to that hotel and that spa, and what was available to you was everything. But instead of enjoying everything that was there, you just stayed at the basic package. That's how sometimes we Christians live our life. We live our life as though we're poor and life is too difficult to go through when we have our God who is with us and our God who has blessed us and our God who has loved us and made us a part of His family and church. Brothers and sisters, live as the rich Christians you are. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have redeemed us. Father, we thank You that You have chosen us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us, our seal and our down payment. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, three in one, we praise you this morning. We can do nothing else after hearing everything that you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would right now help us through our spirit to praise you. I pray that you would help us to know what church really is about. And that as we know, God, it's about you and praising you for what you have done for us. That, God, that would give us a comfort in this time when lots of the things we think of as church we're unable to do. I pray, Lord, right now as we respond in singing, 
that, Lord, we would spend the time to pray and believe and join the family or praise you for what you have done for us or simply say yes to you, God, in whatever you have taught us or told us to do this morning. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.